Warning. The Not Real Art Podcast is intended for creative audiences only. The Not Real Art Podcast celebrates creativity and creative culture worldwide. It contains material that is fresh, fun and inspiring and is not suitable for boring old art snobs. Now, let's get started and enjoy the show. Greetings and salutations, my creative brothers and sisters. Welcome to Not Real Art, the podcast where we talk to the world's most creative people. I am your host, Sourdough, your faithful, trusty, tireless, relentless host, coming at you from Crew West Studio in Los Angeles. How the heck are you, people? Thanks for tuning in. We do this for you. It's all about you. If it wasn't for you, I'd just be talking into a microphone. We just would be like weird, like really weird. Yeah, man, do we have a cool show for you today. We have a bit of a a young buck, a young genius among us today. The one and only Tex Hammond, the 16-year-old virtuoso coming up in the visual arts scene here in Los Angeles that I'll tell you about in a second. Stay tuned for his amazing interview. Love talking to Tex. But before we get into that, I wanted to thank you for tuning in. Like I said, Uh, Please like and share this episode. Also, be sure to go to our website and check out all the good, healthy stuff we got for you at notrealart.com. We're always posting new artists and great work there. So please go check it out. Also, by the time you hear this, our 2024 grant application might be open. So if you're an artist interested in winning our grant, you may want to check that and apply. If you go there and it's not open, well, then I'm sorry, (laughs) but it should be. Anyway, stay tuned for that. All right. Without further ado, I want to talk to you about artist Tex Hammond. This young man, 16-year-old genius, is just, I mean, what an inspiration. This, you know, one of the most articulate, energetic, generous 16-year-olds I've ever met. And, you know, his story is fantastic. It's captivating. Los Angeles uh, here, he's been featured in the LA Times, and his work is, uh, you know, sort of well beyond his years, as they say. But, you know, Tex Hammond is already deeply embedded in the art world, a a feat that speaks, I think, to his artistic prowess, incredible work ethic and inherent talent. Born Jefferson, Texas Hammond on January 31st, 2007 in Los Angeles. He definitely incorporates pop culture interests synonymous with his youth into each and every one of his pieces. Using abstract techniques and unconventional services, he's surfaces. He's taking a definitive step towards modernizing classic genres, simultaneously giving trash a second eco-conscious life in beauty. His accomplishments are impressive regardless of his age, which only emphasizes this further, including three solo shows, charitable donations to the Tree Academy for the Creative Arts in West Hollywood, Miles for Migrants, and PS Arts, creating LA's first ever drive through art show being the youngest ever exhibitor at the LA Art Show two years in a row and sold out shows featuring work in HBO's The Hype and a feature in the LA Times, as I mentioned earlier. I'll tell you what, even amongst a backdrop of immense established talent, Tex stands out. And he's going to stand out on this podcast today. You're going to love hearing from him. I love chatting with Tex. 
great energy, very generous. Gives, gives me hope for the future, people. We need more kids like Text out there, and we're grateful to have them on the show today. So without further ado, let's get into this and uh, hear my conversation with the only one and only Text Hammond. Tex Hammond, welcome to Not Real Art. Hi, how are you doing? Wow, man, I'm so stoked you're here, man. This is so groovy. Thank you so much for letting me on here. It really just is so special. I love it. Well, I tell you what, man, I mean, you know, like, obviously, as you know, like, we like to think that here at Not Real Art, we talk to the world's most creative people. At least that's our little tagline. And I think it is very apropos where you're concerned, because you, my friend, I think, are definitely one of the world's most creative people. Oh my God. I mean, that really means a lot, you know, especially from just kind of looking into my own brain, it's hard to deem anything I draw, I guess, creative, especially when I can really keep abstracting it. But I feel like I'm I'm really just scraping the surface right now. So I'm glad you're saying that because I feel like I have a lot more to show you. So that's good to hear. <laughs> you do have a lot more to show me because you're, you know, at what are you, 15 now? 16? How old are you? Uh, yeah, 16. 16. Happy birthday. When was your I birthday? I just turned 16. When was uh, your January 31st. January 31st. Okay. Well, happy birthday. So the point is, is that you're 16, my man. And, you know, so your life's all ahead of you and you got nothing but stuff to show and stuff to tell. I'm finally an adult, man. To make. That's- no, not finally an adult, but I'm not a 14-year-old artist anymore. You know what I mean? Everything's kind of becoming more real, you know, starting to really take charge in my stuff and look at my future and think and be like, is this really what I want to do forever? Which 100% it is. I have no questions about that, but I, I get asked that all the time. So. Yeah. Well, and your art, you know, could evolve right now. You're painting, but you know, 10 years from now you might be sculpting. I mean, you know, who knows? Like you really do just never know. I think with my constant like drive to like keep exploring, you know, different mediums because I mean, you know, realizing a different medium that really can bring some sort of new aspect to your canvas, like really changes a lot. Like I remember when I started using oil paint, my process sort of changed and I would start doing like a lot of the shadows and a lot of the black first and then going over with the pastel and that, and that began from just getting the long side of my pencil and shading certain parts in in my sketches. And then I was like, Hmm, maybe I can, you know, kind of do this with a brush. And then, you know, I I kept doing that, but now I'm like, Oh, maybe I would want to do like some collage stuff in the future. And thinking about that, I always love cutting out like, you know, certain parts of my paintings that I really didn't like or not paintings, but like more drawings and then keeping the part that I really like so I can make it into something better next time. But I think that if I collected those like scraps and pieces, I could have this whole new look to my painting with all of these different collages that I drew one by one. And that could, you know, potentially be some sort of new, like, I guess we were talking about walking up the staircase in your journey. And I guess that could be like the new step. So, well, and to the extent that you're talking about upcycling, right. To the extent that you're taking, you know, you're talking about taking discarded things and reinventing them and giving them new life, new value. I mean, that's kind of a theme of your work. Like, like, you know, like you do that a lot in your work, you know? It's true. I mean, ever since my, well, it was my second art show, actually, it was during quarantine. I set up the riots were actually going on for George Floyd and they had boarded up every window in my little town of Pasadena. And after it really died down, we asked some store owners, Hey, can we 
take some of this wood since it really does have such an important meaning and repurpose it and make it into something else. And especially with all of the, you know, like, I guess, like, pain I was dealing with at the time, there was definitely a lot more things going on in the world. But just, you know, quarantine happened, I I was just felt did not feel good. There was a lot of violence all the time. And I, I feel like it really just helped me like take that tone and really submerge it with my art. And once I showed all those pieces, like it really did just look so good together. And I loved wood. So I was like, hey, this would be a great idea. And now coming up to my newest show, I'm already doing that with my old pieces that I used to ship for Paris. So it's like great because I'm not actually spending hundreds of dollars on, you know, like square canvases because they make it so expensive now. They make it so expensive now. And that's why, you know, I really want to just learn how to roll my own canvas or, or and make my own paper and, you know, repurpose things like that because I feel like it's less wasteful and there is really no downside to it. I mean, they had a frame and it's a great place to paint. So why wouldn't I, you know, I love painting on everything. It doesn't matter. Napkin menu. <laughs> I wonder what the carbon footprint is of a four by six canvas that you buy. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, like if you go to the art supply store and you pick up a pre-stretched canvas, it's four by six mm-hmm. or whatever it is. I wonder what the carbon footprint of that is like that. Cause there, there is right. Like there's a carbon footprint and you know, the you're saying like, no, 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 no. let's find materials around us and, and save that energy. I'm not that familiar with all the carbon footprint sort of talk like the specific like effect certain things have that are you know away from the real reason why I feel like sometimes it can you know kind of like big corporations can kind of use that as a distraction to kind of make you think that you're more affecting it than they are but yeah definitely I mean you buy a canvas at the store and it has what a giant plastic wrap around it sometimes two plastic wraps I'm like why did we need two? <laughs> Where can we get one layer? It's, it's fine. One layer is fine. And then it has the paper. You need to take off all the branding and it's just like, it's too much. And yeah. And like, it is really good canvas, but if I'm learning how to make my own paper, maybe I can learn how to use my resources better in the future too. Because, you know, I mean, we might not have access to beautiful big canvases pre-made like that forever. So I should definitely learn how to do it now. So, cause in the future I was thinking, I really love watercolor. So I was thinking if I did like a big, like huge watercolor paper and just really played with it, I feel like the effect watercolor has, it kind of makes people feel like they're dreaming a little bit. I think that's why there's a lot of watercolor um, portraits of, well, not actual portraits, but like drawings of, you know, houses. I know that one of my friends back at my school, his mom actually paints houses for people only watercolor and she's super good at it but it's like it's a sentimental thing it makes you kind of feel like it takes you back to that dreamy sort of moment so I think that's the importance of it but I think that if I ever did a show like that that could really you know show my ability to you know produce this paper and also just like I love watercolor so why not (laughs) (laughs) so years ago I dated a girl who's an artist and her mom told me one time uh, a very funny story because I asked her, I said, when did you know that your daughter was an artist? 
And she said, well, I knew it when she was a baby because she'd reach her hands down her diapers and take her poop and draw things on the wall with her poop. Oh, my <laughs> God. No way. That is ridiculous. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, true, my God. True story. True story. Oh, and, my and, God. And of course, I will. I will not mention her name, but. That felt really good to say, I bet. Right about yeah, now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it was hilarious. It. The mom was just like, I knew she was an artist when dot, dot, dot. Right. God. Yeah, yeah. Just, hey, mom, look at this beautiful painting. <laughs> when did your mom oh, know you were an artist? Because I'm wondering, I mean, were you, were, what were you painting with when you were two? <laughs> well, okay, there was a period. Okay, I totally, I should just get a little bit of paper next to me to show you what I'm talking about. But I used to draw these stick figures that were just so basic. They were so just, this kid is never going to be an artist. He's never, he's not creative. He's not anything. He's just... And, and it was the way I loved drawing stick figures. It just it just seemed appropriate. But I, that was how I drew when I was a little kid. And I really did not have that much of an interest in it, which is weird compared to now. But I really started drawing when I was about 9 to 10 maybe, uh-huh. like or 8, 9, 10. And I remember there was this period of time where I kept doing portraits for people. And my mom just really started to like it. Like it went from her being like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Because she, cause she's honest. She doesn't like lie to me or anything. If I've ever done a painting that really has not been that good, she'll come down there and she'll be like, Tex, and I'm like, yeah, okay, okay, okay. Keep and, you know, that doesn't Keep happen. Like, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't happen. I don't want to be like, oh, oh, that never happens. I, ne- I never do a bad painting. But like, I haven't had her say anything that bad about anything in a long time. But you know, sometimes she does have like a, oh well, I, I like this one, but I do like this one better, which I really appreciate because it's like now I know that she's actually being honest. You know what I mean? And I'm not getting some. And she's still my mom and she's still going to sugarcoat everything. But, you know, I'm getting a little more of a genuine opinion. But, you know, ever since I was a kid, I just started doing these portraits and I really noticed her opinions changing on them. And then I did a portrait of her one day and she loved it. She like was freaking out and she was like, Tex, I'm going to make you an Instagram. Like it's time that we actually do this. And, you know, you can just post portraits. You can go to cafes and, and draw people. And I, and I really loved the whole idea of just going out and, being with my sketch pad and being with my music and just being able to like create or sit somewhere or, you know, I didn't really understand the concept of, you know, how I guess kind of weird it is to sit down and just draw somebody at a cafe. So I would just go to people and then just sit there and, just, and it would freak people out. But, you know, I loved it. And I just, you know, slowly started doing more portraits and my art changed and I then had my Instagram. So it kind of just slowly started becoming more my career. And mm-hmm. yeah, well, we were sitting in this little pizza place at, at LACMA, actually. And I would always go there just for like my inspiration. Just I would call it like refilling or recharging my battery. That's what me and my mom would call it. Like, you know, I do a little bit of art and I go to LACMA to recharge my battery or any museum. And I go to the road and recharge my battery. But it was just one of those times where we were just sitting outside. I was drawing. Everything was so nice. And and I was just doing a portrait of her and she just really, really did like it. Like there was just something that was sort of different. Like it wasn't like that. Oh my God, honey, I love it. It was more of like, oh my God, like this is really something that I think is good. And of course, you know, me now, I'm like, I still don't understand how she was looking at 10 year old me's art thinking it was any good or anything, but still, um, but still like she, she really did like it. And then I guess that gave her an idea for some sort of Instagram account, which I never really had con- that much control over. But my profile picture is from that very same day. I had a class at LACMA and I looked at a, at a Roy Lichtenstein painting 
and we were all going to try to do something a little bit Lichtenstein. And I was like, okay, I'll just do a self-portrait of myself. And that's kind of where the face with all the dots came from. So, and, and that's been my profile picture ever since. So yeah, but ever since then, I was just uploading portraits and just kind of seeing where I was going, which I never really noticed, but I had a very weird, like, arc with my growth, like just looking back through my art, it's like, it's very interesting how it changed. And even looking back, I'm not sure how it changed. Like, like I don't know what I did to make it change because I would never stop and say, hey, I need to do this now. This is how I'm going to change my style. It just happens. So, I mean, yeah, I really don't know. But it's, I mean, my art from even six months ago last year is completely different to my art now. Well, it's sort of the muses, right? Like the muses are taking your hand and controlling it. It's sort of, you're not in control, right? Like the muses are working through you. Well, depends on what you mean by muse. If you mean muse, like my, I guess, like spiritual hand. Yeah, sure. Sometimes I feel like it isn't really just me that's drawing. I feel like every artist feels that way sometimes. Sometimes it feels like there's a spirit that just kind of took your hand and is now controlling it especially with the way i draw i completely zone out of what i'm doing like i'll be in my backyard for six hours at a time working on a big painting and just to be done with it after that six hours and really it just it goes by it it just flies by because i'm just like so focused on completing it and when i complete it it's like this relieving feeling it's like i can i can't even explain it it's like drinking like 20 glasses of water, if that didn't make you throw up, then it would make you feel really nice, right? It feels like that. It feels like, I don't want to get too dramatic, but it's like, you know, it feels like like an, like an angel or something is like, is like with me. Because it's like, I look in the backyard and I have, you know, my light set up from my, I have my bathroom window that's like perfectly centered on my backyard where I paint. So when I go in and wash my hands, I kind of just get to look at it and be like, wow, yeah, another night. And it really is just going to sleep knowing that I've produce this or just like given my mind a release for the day onto the canvas is just so comforting but and you know the next day it'll be back and, and i'll have to do it again so but. so okay before we go too deep you know into your practice and your story and all the exciting stuff that you've done and that that's coming up you know i want to take a minute you know to really honor your mom, you've already mentioned her a couple times and, you know, and it's obvious to me that, you know, you guys have a really special bond and connection and, you know, but it's not, you know, I mean, it's good moms are, unfortunately, good moms are, I think, hard to find <laughs> sometimes Very and uh, to find. good parents, good parenting is hard. And I know I'm a dad, I got two kids, so it's, I try every day to do it. It's hard work, but But your mom, you know, clearly saw something in you and is supporting you and is attuning to you and and helping to nurture you. Like, talk a little bit about what she means to you and what she means to your art practice, because, you know, clearly you're here because of her. Just that support that she's given me, really, it's like I never really got like that much of a I wouldn't have gotten that much of a voice early on Instagram to do what I wanted to do with my first show because you need one show, one real show to get people to start being interested in you just on their own without anybody showing them or just having like your own fans. It takes one show. If you do have really good art, 
And I feel like really my mom helped me all through quarantine. She was helping me set up. Well, it was me and Carmen, but definitely my mom had a had a foot in the my kind of art world. And now after you know this second LA art show, you know we kind of sat down with Carmen and, and my publicist, and we and we were like, you know maybe now it's time that I kind of like take the reins a little bit. But just like I'm never gonna ever discredit her that she or that she ever didn't help me with my big giant drive-through art show it was it was at her old recording studio and she got the venue and she got the place to throw it at and you know with her social media presence like it that really does bring so much further attention so yeah I mean yeah no she's helped me so much and I love her so much and you know she is out of town a lot because she needs to work but and she's always thinking like oh well I don't want you to feel sad because I'm out of town but I'm like look like you've done so much for me and just knowing that you're you know able to you know keep a roof over my siblings heads you know that's just important to me and now I'm kind of you know I guess out of the nest a little bit like you know so I can kind of make these decisions for myself now but she really just had a really good way of teaching me how to do that you know so shout out, mom. So that's beautiful. It's a beautiful story. I love that because, I mean, we do stand on the shoulders of our ancestors, so to speak, and our parents. We do, and-, and it is very affected. And we mimic our parents. I mean, we can't just say we don't mimic our parents. We all mimic our parents in certain ways, even if we don't want to at all, even if that is our complete, the furthest thing we want to do. We are always just little versions of our parents. And I think that having my mom being such a, like, you know, she is just like an entrepreneur all the time. Like she's always trying to find another way to make money or something creative, something she can do that will leave her satisfied and bring her happiness that isn't like, you know, busting her ass where she can still, you know, support us. I think that that's a gift that she, that she kind of gave me, like that innovative sort of mindset. She's very innovative. Well, and it sounds like incredible work ethic and incredible, you know, very entrepreneurial, very driven. And you get she's that very from her. driven. She's yeah. she, I do get that from her. And I think she's has better drive than me, honestly. Sometimes I, you know, I just don't want to do the homework assignment. Or, you know, sometimes I'm like, well, I really just don't have enough time to paint. <laughs> but, you know, I feel like no matter what, my mom would always push herself to complete anything in her way. And she has. She really has. That's awesome. So, okay. So you've got mom on your side. You've got, you know, an incredible advocate there, you know, with her. She starts to help you build a little bit of a social media presence. You're working on, you know, you're just drawing and doing, you know, your own thing, so to speak. At what point do you get, quote unquote, discovered, right? So, you know, you were the youngest artist to have a, a show at the LA Art Show. You've already had three, I think three solo shows already, right? Or at least you've been in, you know, you've had a couple solo shows, I believe, if not three. But take us back. I mean, like at the very, like, what was that moment of discovery where somebody said, oh, wait, this this kid's actually, you know, painting above his weight and, you know, showing some brilliance here. You know, we should take him under our wing and, and help nurture his career. Like, like, Take us back to that moment. How did that happen for you? I think that with my first LA art show, it definitely kicked off a little bit. Like I had the LA Times article that really just, oh my God, that was amazing. That felt like a true moment of discovery because I had been, you know, I had had shows previously and I'd had work and I was, you know, 
going to continue to work. But that really like jump started everything. And especially with my show being in the same week when they released the article, I think that the like foot traffic and attention that brought to it, I completely sold out that show. So, and I don't think that that's by coincidence. I, I think that that article really did help me, but it also showed other people more of my ability. And I think that by the time I had my Paris show, I was much better than that. But, you know, I had more of an abstract approach on it, but still people saw the like more of the vision in that show. And I think that that was really important. But I think that by the Paris show, people started seeing that, you know, I could do a little bit of figure and I was kind of going outside of my, you know, box a little bit. Things were getting more detailed. Things were getting more colorful. And now with its steady progression, I feel like it hasn't been such of a distinct discovery. Like I was this good before I got discovered and I'm still just this good now. It's that people discovered a vision, you know, and people saw that vision. I think that that's very important. I feel like people want that more than just getting discovered. If somebody discovers your vision, then they're there to see your vision. They're not just there to see the finished product of what you've already accumulated. You know what I mean? Through all of your years, which I have so much yet and so much more to accumulate. That's why it is a little bit scary, like thinking about like just progression through art, because I'm always like, well, how else could I keep painting? Like, it really just seems like, well, it doesn't seem like I've done everything, but you know, my imagination, sometimes I'm just like, hmm, like, I do wonder what I'm going to do next. And somehow I look back and I'm like, so that's what I did next. It's never, it's that, that time never comes. I'm never actually deciding what I'm doing next. It just always is like an infinite countdown almost. But that's why I just, I think that it's more of a vision thing than just getting discovered. People discover my vision and that vision is going to keep on seeing and keep on growing, you know? Yeah. It's like, you're telling, you're telling stories that resonate, right? Like at the end of the day, people read books and you either love this book or you don't like the book. And, you know, I guess it kind of goes back to, you know, what we were saying about, you know, art kind of being personal, but it, you know, at the end of the day, like you're being true to yourself as an artist, you know, telling the stories that you want to tell that you feel compelled to tell and you're going to tell them regardless, but it turns out that people are discovering your stories, reading your stories and feeling a connection, you know, to your stories. And so whatever stories you're telling, whatever pulse you have on the zeitgeist or, you know, contemporary issues or whatever, it's clearly, you know, resonating and, you know, speaks to a deeper, more intuitive, you know, side of yourself. I mean, you know, the old saying old soul, I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase. Oh, she's an old soul or he's an old soul. Do you feel like you're an old soul? Well, I was just about to say, I mean, my art does very much take inspiration from older art. I don't find a lot of like joy with art now. I do see some artists that are just, oh my God, they're blow me away. And, and, and it's like, oh my God, I need to remember you. But just in the main, like mainstream aspect of it, I feel like a lot of people are looking at art as a way to make money really easily. And it's just like, if you're not going to be painting for yourself, you're literally like going to just have these soulless pieces and people are going to know it's soulless, but it doesn't matter because if there is 
some like collector's hype around it, then you're still just going to be making money. But it's like at the end of your life, do you really want to live out something like that where you sort of faked it the whole way and, and did the same thing the whole time and never disappointed anybody because you never tried anything new? And I don't want to live that way, but I also find that older art makes me happier and I like the way older art looks. So I think that, you know, with past lives and stuff like that, I, I mean, you know, there is a true possibility that maybe just my soul's a little bit more back in time a little bit. And I, and I really just don't know just with the way I think about colors and art, because I was talking to my art teacher and he was like, your, all of your paintings do have a very old look to them. They all look like dated but he didn't really know how to put his finger on it. And we were kind of looking at the painting. We were like, maybe the colors have something to do with that. And I, and I was thinking about it too. I was like, yes, the colors, but also the image. And I think that the colors do really play a big part in that. But I don't know how to quickly narrow down my color selection. Because that's one of the things that, you know, my mom and people around me have had like some kind of questions about is how I do choose my colors. But I kind of ask myself that same question. And I think that that goes back to maybe that old soul sort of thing. Maybe I just, you know, have this like, I just like only yearn for colors that were like more used back then. It's weird. I really don't know like a good way to explain it because it's something that I feel stupid even like saying about myself because i'm like oh yeah oh, i'm from the 1800s or whatever I'm, oh yeah exactly no but it's funny because right before you asked that i was thinking that i was thinking like oh maybe i should say something about that because i'm always thinking about it it's just it's something weird to me that like all of my paintings look like that but i'm not complaining because it's exactly what i'm going for because that's why i love it but well, I think that it, also with just like with just like things that are, are apart from art, like I, I am a very old soul. Like I notice that I tend to have sort of a sort of a maturity with things that other kids just don't yet. And I don't mean that in like a, a boasty way or anything, but just like, you know, certain you know, like I'll be out in the city and, you know, maybe somebody my age will see somebody on the street and they'll think it's funny and they'll think it's something to like laugh at or you know to just kind of make fun of somebody's suffering but you know i feel like i'm mature enough to understand that you shouldn't make fun of anybody's suffering so you know i feel like that's a very basic thing but it's a thing that a lot of kids now lack which is true which is like the basic you know maturity over things like that you know it's funny because i mean i think it's classic i mean you know when i was growing up back in the 70s you know in the 80s like i always felt like you know, my neighborhood friends, you know, like the, like the guys I was growing up with, you know, like we all played sports. We all like hung out. We all rode our bikes together. We all did things. But for the most part, I always felt like the odd one out because I felt like they were like immature. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, we, were, yeah, we, were, yeah. we were all we were all we were all like you had to be the, the mom of the, the group. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, didn't want to be like that, that but. Yeah. yeah, no, that's what I, people call me the mom of the group. And I'm like, I'm just trying to not be dumb. It's not like I'm not fun, but like there are basic things that are just like play stupid games, win stupid prizes. And I don't want to win the stupid prize. And as soon as I have to be grouped in with that. So, you know. Yeah. So, right. I got you. So I have so many questions, man. Like I'm, you know, I'm just so grateful that we're together talking. I mean, you know, your you're really story good at asking is these questions. It's really giving me a chance to kind of, you know, like I'm a very like, 
talky person. I kind of go on little tangents without noticing it because I'm always just like like saying something. I'm always talking and then talking back. You know what I mean? I, I can never really not talk back over something. So especially when somebody's giving me good questions because I've had some questions that have been like, what else am I supposed to say to that? You know what I mean? <laughs> From like, you know, it's just, this just feels like a conversation. I love that. That's the best way an interview can feel. Yeah. So Tex, what are the cool kids saying these days? What's relevant these days out there in the, uh, in the streets? I'll sum it up perfectly. <laughs> I'll sum it up perfectly with this one word. If you want to know what's relevant, I'll just tell you everything is everything. I feel, I feel like I'm drowning. Everything is popular now. Everything is a trend. Everything is a popular song. Every clothing item is pop. It's just like, it's too much stimulation. It's too much content in media and in voices and, and opinions and judgment. And it's too much for me. I can't, I can't like, it's worse than it used to be when I was a kid. When, when I was a kid, there was, I'm still a kid. The fact that I have to say that, th- that like three years ago, it was a completely different landscape than it was now is scary to me because three years ago, I, I, I wasn't able to like see 60 videos in under 10 minutes without realizing it, you know? And I wasn't like hurting my brain because like it hurts your brain. It's content. It's bad content too. Like there's things that are being shown that certain apps like TikTok and stuff like that are purposely showing younger kids bad content. And it's just like, it's kind of evil knowing that every kid my age I know is on TikTok and they're all kind of being conditioned. And especially that even if you delete TikTok, you can't get rid of it because there's Instagram and there's YouTube. And not that Instagram and YouTube are their different platforms. It's that they have their own TikTok within them. So I feel like just that and like social media and like the world and like, especially like the AI thing that's going on. I feel like I'm, I'm just like about to explode. I don't know. I feel like there used to be certain things that used to be like important or certain things that were like talked about a lot or certain trends for the month. But now it's just like everything all at once. And I can't take it. I can't take it. I don't know. It's all the social media stuff. It's all the social media stuff. That's all it is. And all it would take was for me to get off my phone. <laughs> that's it. Well, and that and and that's right. I mean, the reality is if we don't consciously and intentionally unplug from the grid, no one's going to do it for us. Like, and yet when we're building a world where it's almost impossible to, it's impossible to from unplug the grid from the because grid. you have to every, there's an app for banking now and food and I mean, everything you've got to do is connected to the internet. On and some it month. makes it easier and it does make your life easier. And you know, like my uncle, like, I mean, like sometimes you, well, not my uncle, but you're just like me. Like, I guess I'll, I'll just kind of, snitch on myself right now but but like i've never really personally used an ai thing to like do my work for me but i hear it from adults and everyone that it's so easy and even kids my age that that it's just so easy to like just write like you know an essay and then just you know run it through two to three programs and and it's completely unreadable and and that's scary to me because that's like you weren't able to do that at all you weren't able to do that at all And, and i think that like it's impossible to unplug from the grip when these things are becoming necessary to like be a person. Like I saw this thing that was like, these are necessary in business. Like you need these AI tools if you're going to be in business. Like, and I'm like, geez, man, like you need these AI tools. Like 
Like you can't just do it how everybody else has done it forever now. And it's just like, I could talk about this forever. I think I just feel like the state of the world is very chaotic. Like it's too much for me, especially just like, just like everything. I can't even, it's too chaotic. I have too many things to think about too many headlines, too many, just too much. Well, and at least you can escape into your work, right? You can escape into your painting. Like people are completely sucked into that now. Like they can't escape. And I'm like, it's important to find something you can have to escape because like I can sit without a phone for, you know, hours and I won't even think about it. But immediately after I'll think about it just because I don't have my painting. So, you know, I am very lucky that I have something like that. So lucky. Yeah, you have an escape hatch, don't you? You know, you can... Yeah, in the world that we're going up now, it's it's very hard to have an escape hatch with some things, especially something that will, like, you know, can be used as, like, my living. Like, the fact that I am an artist and I can maybe make a living on this one day is, like, amazing. Like, I feel like the only way you can, like, have a really sufficient living now is, like, if you're, like, in the tech industry or something. So that's why I'm, like, or, like, tech industry or, like, just like stocks or something like that. So it's like, I feel like just having that like chance to like be able to live comfortably with my art. Like that's why I want to give everybody the chance to do that. That's why, you know, maybe if for some reason I'll, you know, I'll be able to, you know, sell my stuff for a lot more. Hopefully I left plenty of napkins around for people who, who are like, Hey, you know, maybe this could really help me out. I, I found this, I found this years ago. And, and you know, if that, if that means that I'm helping somebody, then that is so important to me. That is so important. Cause at the end of the day, I love painting on big surfaces. Like that's all it is. It's just detach capitalism and anything that you have to do in order to, you know, if I was floating somewhere, I would just be painting forever. <laughs> I would just be filling up a gallery somewhere (laughs) so if you had to choose between your anonymity how do i want to say this so like let's say you had a choice it's like okay tex hammond you're going to be the world's most important artist however you're going to be famous and you're everyone's going to know your name and you're not going to have any more privacy or you can keep painting the quality of your work will still be great, but and you may or may not make that money you want, but you'll be able to keep your privacy and your anonymity. Like, what do you think you would choose? Would you choose your privacy over success or would you success over privacy? It depends just if you're asking me if I'm growing up now or not, because it's like if I had the chance to live happily in a world where I didn't have to make like a an amount of money to live happy and I could still make my art and just keep my privacy, then I would take that. If all of the money and that was disconnected from everything. Yeah, I would take that. But I like do just need to like, you know, like function that way because that's the way the world works. And that's, I would want my privacy more than anything, more than anything, but I would be forced to choose money. I would be forced to choose money. And I think that that can be said over with anybody, even people who say that they would starve on the street and just play music for the rest of their life. I don't believe that really, because people can become very desperate, especially for something that just rules our everyday lives. And the fact that I have a chance to, you know, 
really have an easy time with that. I, I would not give that up, but it would mean that I would give up my, some of my happiness and my privacy and everything. Cause I'm not saying I, you know, if I do have a comfortable living when I'm older, I'm not saying I won't just feel as bad as I do now, you know, that never changes your mood. It's just material things that can alter it a little bit. You know, you can't just get material things forever. It loses complete, like all meaning, you know, Yeah, at a certain point. A hundred percent. No, it, it's just a fascinating question for me because I see so many people, you know, it's an amazing it, question. You can get very different answers with it too. And I had to really think about it. Yeah. And I just sort of sprung it on you, but you know, so many people are just giving away their privacy and their anonymity in exchange for convenience in exchange for, you know, uh, social media likes or follows and, you know, and we've all become like nodes in a network and, and yet, you know, it's like, we don't even seemingly realize what we're giving up and, you know, and it's just interesting to me because, you know, for me, I mean, sure, I like some money, but, you know, I like to say, keep the fame, I'll take the fortune. You know, I don't want, I don't want anybody knowing me, <laughs> you know, leave me alone. <laughs> you know, that's exactly just what let I'm me... saying is that if you asked me if I could be a nobody and nobody knew who I was and I lived in a tiny, tiny little apartment, but I just knew that I could be happy, live comfortably for the rest of my life, paint whenever I needed to, then I would choose that. Yeah. All of the other stuff is just like time illusions. It's like when we go to sleep, we wake back up sometimes like that, right? And you're like, oh, it felt like five minutes, but it it was eight hours, right? And that's why time is like a complete illusion. That's the easiest way I can describe it before I go into the other stuff. But that's what I'm saying is that after a really good night, it's over. And you're like, whoa. Like that's just time. But that's what I'm saying is that I would not be afraid of missing out on any of the pleasures of our society now, because I feel like even when I do experience really great things where I get to go out to a nice restaurant with my mom or something like that, I have to see a lot of the people who do have less beforehand. And that just makes me feel awful about myself. And like, you know, it makes me feel very grateful at the same time. But I think that, you know, growing up in Los Angeles, it's like the lines are very blurred. You can't do anything without seeing what you're, how lucky you are, seriously. That's right. City, well, so. And text, you are so fortunate and lucky. You know, your calling as an artist is very obvious, you know, early in life. And, you know, so many people, you know, never find their calling in life. So the fact that I would not give it up for anything. I know I found my purpose. Like when I say that, when I say like people ask me, do you think you're going to go into art forever? It's just not a question. It really is, is not a question. It's never been a question. That's the thing. It's weird. It's been a question like, yeah, well, maybe it'll be hard to be an artist, but it's never been a question of what do I want to do? How do I want to bring my mark to the world? How do I want to make people feel? How do I want or in what way do I want to make people feel? You know what I mean? And how am I going to achieve those feelings? It's a lot about the feelings of other people. That's really what I care about. And I think that that's very important in art. You need that. You need emotional reaction. If there is no, we can see an amazing painting of some realistic like fairy god that's in, on fire dancing through a hallway of like in Rome. 
and it'll be beautiful and it'll look like a photograph, but will it make you feel something? And I think that that's really just when you can't make people feel anything, you can't like, I don't know, that emotional reaction. It's that I love art, but why music does prevail in the feeling department over art sometimes they they make you feel different things and i and i think i you know i could guess i could have a debate with myself about this but i do you know from my non-stubborn side i do feel like music does just make people feel more it's an easy direct feeling you know one chord will make you feel sad one chord will make you feel happy you know but art is that's it's harder to make achieve that that's what i'm saying it's hard to make people feel like they're listening to music when they're looking at your painting. Wow. Isn't that a really cool point you're making? I mean, like if somebody asks you, it's like, well, what are you trying to do with your art? Well, I'm trying to create paintings that make people feel the music. Feel the music or feel the sound. Exactly. That's why one of my recent paintings that's going to be in my new show. I'm so excited to show it. I've been, I've done like two versions of it. So, and they're two very different. So I'm glad to see like what people are going to think of two different versions, like different colors and everything. But it's just called woman in a room full of sound. And I don't know. I I just love that title. And and that title really makes me feel like kind of a little bit of myself. Like, like I'm not a woman or anything, but I'm a person for all people. And I feel like we're all a little bit in a room full of sound. Like no matter if we even want to hear it, or if it's too loud, I feel like for me, it's too loud sometimes. That's why I crammed in seven different, you know, like banjos and upright basses and, you know, in violence to that painting. But, you know, because I feel like sometimes I'm like, I'm like just drowning a little bit. But that's why I'm so thankful that I have this thing that takes me away from that. You know what I mean? It isn't like incorporated with that. That's why I'm really glad I did not do my NFT art thing. Not that I have anything against NFTs in general, just more of a, I really want to keep it traditional because I love traditional, but I want to keep it traditional for now because I feel like it's, it's more special that it's traditional instead of a picture that, you know, I destroy the painting of. Cause I remember doing that. I almost did an NFT and I had to make a big painting, take a picture of it and then destroy it. <laughs> it was sad. <laughs> it was sad. I mean, it's definitely more sad now. Then it wouldn't have mattered as much. It didn't matter that much. But now I would have a sentimental value to it. Because I spend more time on my big pieces. I, I don't just, I remember I used to say that I used to just go at my pieces. I used to just pick up the paintbrush and go. And I'm like, no, that's not, that's not how I do it anymore. I'm not like sketching out what I'm doing, but I'm, or what I'm doing on the canvas beforehand, but I'm drawing the scene multiple times before I'm doing it. I'm doing many different versions so I can look back through all these things, see the things that I liked and I didn't like, and then put them all together. And when I put them all together, you know, I feel like it really just makes that canvas so much more powerful, you know, instead of just, because sometimes you can just do something that you might not like that much, or I might not like that much on the canvas. And maybe other people will like it, but if I don't like it that much, I'm going to hate it. I'm not going to want to see it. I'm not going to want to see it up like, you know, like that happens with things in my show now. Like like a lot of the things in my show now, I seriously look at, or, or like the main pieces, but like more of the sketches. I'm like, no, what are we doing? What, why are we putting that in? And, you know, but it's like, you know, I just have to listen to other people and not be my critical self. But I'm not being critical in a way where it's like, oh, it's so bad. Oh, my God. Look at this amazing drawing of a 
it looks like a photo. Isn't it so bad? It's not like that. It's like, it's just that sometimes I, I just know what I'm capable of. So it, it sucks seeing things that I did where I didn't know what I was capable of. You know what I mean? I feel like I was a little bit more lost back then. And now I have like this really like good sense of it. Like I've been to, well, I'm going to Spain soon, but I've been to London, I've been to Paris and I've been to all these good art museums and just like, you know, Mexico city. And like, I feel like traveling and seeing the world has made me like my inspiration just go and like shine. It's like recharging my battery. That's exactly what I meant by like, you know, when I, when I used to go to Lacking with my mom, it's like recharging my battery when I would go on these trips and, you know, see art from overseas. Cause let's be honest, you know, they are from overseas. <laughs> it's really good. So that's why, you know, I just, I just love those trips so much and, and the architecture and, I love architecture now all because of I've just been traveling, but now architecture is one of my like main other interests. So like, like, I mean, maybe in the future, if I ever, you know, I don't know if I'll ever stop art, but you know, I might get interested in architecture one day, maybe. Well, I get the sense that, you know, you ultimately will become, I could be wrong, but I mean, you're going to be a multidisciplinary artist. Like painting is your thing now and sketching and drawing, but you just, to me anyway, you just have so much to give and offer and so, so much you want to say and do that I, I feel like it's going to have to move beyond the canvas. Like you're going to find so many other mediums that's going to compel you to tell your stories. And, and I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if 20 years from now you're writing musicals, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know. Like I, like, I get that. Sense. That's what I'm saying is that I have an interest in every sort of art, like even like film music. I used to screen record like stupid scenes from movies and then just add my own music over it in GarageBand. And I would just, I just, I was always making movies when I was little, making music. I've always been interested in just anything creative. So I do agree when you say that. I see myself only painting now, but you never know. It's life. And it could totally, 100% will happen. So, well, Tech, yeah, so. No matter what happens, will you promise me that you'll come back on the show again and keep us updated? You know I will. Um, only if you have me back on it, it's my pleasure even being here. So, woohoo! Well, I'm so stoked that we had this time. I want you to come back. You know, I want to keep up with your career. So many great things that are in front of you. Your whole life's in front of you, and yet you're already doing some amazing things. And yeah, and you have a spirit of gratitude and a spirit of compassion and empathy. And, you know, and that shines through and that that does is truly a testament of, I think, your emotional intelligence and the fact that, you know, you might be a old soul reincarnated for uh, millennia. Who knows? But uh, all that matters, my friend, is that you're here with us now and you're making some amazing work before we sign off. Please tell our listeners where they can find you online. You can find me at, at Tex Hammond on Instagram and Tex Hammond, dot com. There you go, people. Of course, I'll have that in the show notes as well. But you got to follow Tex. Get on the text uh, wagon here because it's going places. I got to get back on my YouTube outro sort of thing. I got to be like, all right, thank you guys. Like and subscribe. You know. <laughs> click, Follow me, text click, Hammond click, here. Yeah, click click like right below. Here. <laughs> yeah, I totally need to be a professional. At that, and don't forget to pick up some of our merch. <laughs> well, of course. Yeah, no. Well, I, I thought that was serious. If you do have merchandise, I will get it because I, I, I want to remember this. Seriously. 
It's so funny. Right on, Tex. All right, my friend. Well, listen, uh, you have a beautiful day. Thank you for coming, and best of luck, my, my friend. So your future is bright. Thank you. You have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Not Real Art Podcast. Please make sure to like this episode, write a review, and share with your friends on social. Also, remember to subscribe so you get all of our new episodes. Not Real Art is produced by Crew West Studios in Los Angeles. Our theme music was created by Ricky Peugeot and Desi DeLauro from the band Parlor Social. Not Real Art is created by We Edit Podcast and hosted by Captivate. Thanks again for listening to Not Real Art. We'll be back soon with another inspiring episode celebrating creative culture and the artists who make it.